This is a podcast from the Business Times. Welcome to Podcasts by the Business Times. In this episode, what is the investment outlook for the rest of 2023, and how can we pivot to capitalize on opportunities and investment trends? This episode is brought to you by UOB Private Bank. History shows that big stock market drops almost always are followed by equally impressive rebounds. Really? Pardon me if I remain skeptical. Inflation may gradually fall in 2023 as there are more and more indications of price deceleration. But dare we hope. And what does this mean for our portfolios? What more adjustments need to be made to them? Welcome to Podcast by the Business Times. I'm Howie Lim. In this episode, we speak to Dr. Neil Teng Hui, Chief Investment Officer, Head of Products and Solutions, UOB Private Bank. This episode is brought to you by UOB Private Bank. Dr. Neil, thanks for joining us again. Happy to be back. So last time we spoke, though, in early 2023, the investment outlook was cautiously optimistic, right? It was a back-to-basics type of investment strategy you talked about that would work best. So how are things now? I'm glad to say that the back-to-basics investment strategy has worked out well. If you look at global equities using the MSCI World Index as a reference, it's up 14% this year. And global bonds, depending on which indices broadly, they are up between 2 and 3%. So if you look at a balanced portfolio, whether 50-50 or 60-40 mix, it's up roughly 7%. So I think those are pretty impressive returns. Yeah, but anecdotally, I've been hearing many analysts say they're sort of tired of talking about opportunities in China, even though its recovery seems to be offsetting the growth slowdown in other regions. What about that tapering inflation we talked about earlier and moderating growth? Have those conditions maybe helped some particular asset classes or economies? Yes, they have. If we look at inflation around the world, in most countries, they are moderated. U.S. inflation picked at roughly 9.2% middle of last year. Now it's back under 5%. And trend appear that it is actually going down. In the case of China, great start to the year. We had a reopening boost as a result of the pivot away from zero COVID policy. But more recently in May, the growth appears to be faltering. Economic momentum has stalled. And if you look at China, it is indeed facing a very different problem. China is actually coming close to a deflation. May consumer price index levels went to a low of 0.2% year over year. And if you look at the producer's price index, it is actually a negative 4.6% year over year. In a strange sort of way, yes, moderating inflation has been helping asset classes almost everywhere. But in some ways, China being the manufacturing capital of the world with its issues with deflation is exporting some of that disinflation to the rest of the world, which in a strange sort of way is actually helping asset classes elsewhere. What happened to China? There was also talk about how it wasn't recovering as well as people had hoped. I think there are a couple of issues facing China. One remains that the government is very cautious about reflating the economy. China had a huge stimulus back in 2009, and it appeared that after each round of stimulus, it created almost like a mini bubble, and particularly in the property sector. 
So if you look at the economic situation as it is today, I mean, the government has announced some form of stimulus, but it's very modest. Mm. So the government, to some extent, is really worried about the growth of leverage in the economy. Excessive stimulus may result in an asset bubble once more. So what you are seeing in China today is really that policy is not really helping in a very big way. And I guess the second issue has to do with the real estate market. Real estate by far is the largest asset most households would own in China. And for the local governments, that's also the predominant source of fiscal revenue. So with most of the property developers in distress, they are not buying land in a very big way that has constrained local government finances, which they are very indebted already. And that created a downward spiral, which ultimately impacted consumer confidence. I think you have read about the off-quoted youth unemployment currently at 20.8%. I think that's a very serious number. Let's talk about, say, cyclical opportunities. Earlier, we alluded to how after every big stock market drop, there's always an equally impressive rebound. Where are those cyclical opportunities we can find, Dr. Neil? Okay, I'm glad you preempted with that comment that after every sharp drop, there's an equally impressive, almost like V-shaped rebound. And that has actually happened to the tech sector. So 2022, one of the worst performing sectors is the tech sector. So on average, they are down between 30 to 40%, mainly because of interest rates. Also, post-COVID in March 2020, people became too optimistic in terms of the demand for tech products. And some of those optimistic projections had to be paid back. So if you look at this year, the most impressive sectors with the best returns is none other than the tech sector. So that corroborated your earlier comment. But there's also another catalyst behind the impressive run. That is AI with the unveiling of ChatGPT more generally known as generative AI, I think that could potentially be transformative, not just for companies directly involved in artificial intelligence, but possibly companies in every sector can harness its potential and bring forth greater productivity, innovation, or simply better cost discipline, right? Because some of the labor costs can potentially be replaced or be augmented by some of these technologies. If I were an investor, though, Dr. Neo, I don't think I would be too comfortable putting all of my eggs into the tech basket. Are there other cyclical opportunities out there we can look out for? At this point in time, we do recommend a somewhat more balanced approach. So on one hand, we still think that parts of the tech sector still have some opportunities, have some potential left. But you are right. No investors should commit the entire portfolio or a significant part of the portfolio, however good is the narrative or potential. I think this is a portfolio discipline I'm glad that you highlighted. Other cyclical sectors might include, I shouldn't say it is a cyclical, but there's one sector which we believe has some growth characteristics, but at the same time is considered defensive in the sense that they had been defensive in an economic downturn. That is healthcare. So healthcare is a sector that we continue to like. 
Beyond the shorter term gyration, we believe that some of the investment opportunities in the energy sector remains attractive. We think that in the process towards uh, energy transition, while some of these oil companies continue to remain relevant, and many of them are actually transforming themselves to be not just big oil, but big energy. So the whole energy transition team is one which we believe that has years of potential to come. Coming up, have we at least gotten over the hump? And what is the investment outlook for the rest of 2023? More with Dr. Niu Tenghui from UOB Private Bank. Now back to podcasts by the Business Times, brought to you by UOB Private Bank. So, Dr. Neil, we have to talk about both stocks and bonds falling at the same time. That's really spooked a lot of people. So, what would your advice be for the vindicated risk averse who has now parked all of their money into high interest rates, say fixed deposits, etc.? Yes, 2022 was a rather special year. Both stocks and bonds fell in unison. And the reason was because of inflation and higher interest rates. So this year, at least for the first half of this year, both stocks and bonds have rebounded. So they are recovering in a fairly correlated fashion. But we believe that as monetary policy in the US, which has a huge influence on the rest of the world, continue to stay restrictive, eventually the economies around the world will face or experience its effects and we will experience some kind of slowdown. Even if we could avert the recession, I think we will get some kind of economic slowdown. At that point in time, I believe that uh, stocks and bonds could start to diverge from each other. At that point in time, stocks may face probably more headwinds. And if the Fed at some point when the economy starts to slow down in a deeper way and inflation has trended down to a much more comfortable level, the Fed might even consider cutting interest rates to support the economy. So at that point in time, I believe that bonds, especially high-quality bonds, could perform well against the backdrop of a more difficult stock market. Have you found it, Dr. Neil, challenging to read 2023? It's got to think about black swan event and things seem to still be volatile. What do you reckon? It certainly feels challenging, but to be perfectly candid, it feels that way almost every year. When I it's what you to, live for, right, Dr. Yes, Neil? <laughs> yes, it's never as straightforward as you are trying to look into the future. But of course, everything with the benefit of hindsight is always crystal clear. I would say that the surprises for 2023 so far, it's really how resilient is the US economy. We are talking about level of Fed policy rates that were at levels that had in the past resulted in large economic dislocations, right? I mean, that was like the tech bust back in 2000 and of course the 2008 global financial crisis. And the US economy also had to contend with a regional banking crisis with the Silicon Valley Bank. And despite all that, the kind uh, of still okay. The, yes. I mean, the stock market is it's having a very good run. And even for Europe, 
you know, most people projected a deeper recession because it has cut off its dependence on oil and gas from Russia. And they had a very mild winter and averted what could potentially be an energy crisis. So the other major challenge, it's really China, because I think there's a tendency to look at China or to look at any economy with what I call the Wall Street template, how we think policies should respond to certain sort of conditions. But we have to recognize that the agenda for the government, or at least the government as it stands today, it's very different and it may not necessarily follow the sort of Wall Street script that we are so accustomed to. And of course, the ongoing geopolitical dynamics further complicate matters. It is important at the end of the day to stay diversified because even in my business, it is our full-time job. We look at things, we analyze things, we try to have a sense of where the future is going to pan out. But as we know, they are the known unknowns and they are the unknown unknowns, right? Mm. So I think diversification ultimately is a hedge against really what we don't know. That portfolio discipline is something that we have to emphasize at all times, good and bad times. Gosh, Dr. Neil, it feels as though markets have really endured all they can at this point, right? Geopolitical instability, there's trade tensions, overall volatility. Can we say breathe a sigh of relief yet or do you see more coming? I don't think all the risks are behind us. I mean, first, the U.S. cycle. I, I don't think we have gone through the typical investment cycle you know, where eventually restrictive policies leads to a deeper slowdown. Stock markets react to those conditions. Recessionary conditions would eventually catalyze a rate cut and then that sold the seed for the next bull market in stocks. I don't think we are there yet because history has shown that markets bottom up only towards the end of a recession, and we hasn't even got one yet. Will uh, we even get there to a recession? Some say no, or at least it'll be very, very mild. I think we do not want to be so technical about the definition of a recession, but we will get some kind of slowdown, but we do believe, like some other forecasters, that if we do get a recession, it will be a relatively mild one. So in that regard, we don't see that the sort of stress points to markets is going to be as severe as what we've seen in previous great recessions like back in the 2008 crisis. And I think the other important point to emphasize here is that uh, what we are facing today is essentially an inflation shock that led to a tightening of policy. If you look at companies' earnings, they are actually not doing that bad under environment of rising prices. Yes, costs have increased, wages has gone up, but I see that many companies are able to pass on higher prices to consumers. So at the end of the day, corporate margins are still relatively healthy. And this is very different from the sort of deflation shock that we have seen in the last few crises where prices were falling and companies really have to retrench more just to stay afloat. So I think the conditions are very different. And in an inflation shock, corporate earnings, which is essentially a nominal concept, can actually stay pretty resilient. I'm starting to feel quite optimistic. So what do you reckon, Dr. Neil, 2023, the rest of it, what's it looking like and what sort of investing trends should we look out for? First half of 23 has been a very good first half. And 
I believe at this point in the cycle, to expect the same kind of returns is probably unrealistic. And I do expect market to go through episodes of corrective action, volatility, and that shouldn't surprise investors because, like I said, the policy, it's still very restrictive, right? It will act as a drag and a headwinds to economy. And at some point in time, stock market is going to feel it. We do see some pockets of opportunities in markets. I think tech, although at this level, is very overbought. You know, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend investors to look at it right now. But on any pullbacks, it could be something that investors should be considering some exposure. And we do see also some pockets of opportunities despite the downbeat prognosis for China. There are certain areas where policy remains very supportive. And we do see that valuation as very, very attractive as well. So uh, in China, a lot of bad news has been priced in. But to be honest, as an economy, we, we don't see very major and meaningful catalysts in the short term. So it's probably going to be fairly range bound. So in terms of trends in investing, actually, we do see certain what would traditionally be considered alternative investments being somewhat more democratized and being offered to individual investors in formats that are more friendly, like semi-liquids uh, without all the long lockups, fractional sizes. What are we talking about? Private assets? Private, private assets, buy our private debt, real estate and whatnot. So this is a trend that we're seeing as well. And I think these assets do offer some diversification benefits because they don't necessarily correlate that perfectly with the fundamental asset classes like bonds and equities. So I think some of these additions could have some positive impact on the risk-adjusted returns of investors' portfolios. So final word, Dr. Neil, diversification, right? Yes, absolutely. I think I can't emphasize enough of this concept. Of course, uh, if your portfolio is sufficiently diversified, that also allows you to take specific opportunities because you know parts of your portfolio would continue to do well if your view on the economy doesn't turn out to be that right. It gives you that ability to assume risk if you know that other parts of the portfolio is going to do well in a more adverse environment. Thanks, Dr. Neil, for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. My pleasure. Dr. Neil Tenghui, Chief Investment Officer, Head of Products and Solutions, UOB Private Bank. For BT Podcasts, I'm Howie Lim. This episode of Podcasts by The Business Times was brought to you by UOB Private Bank. Find more BT Podcasts at businesstimes.com.sg slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.